0: Welcome to It Art Podcast. I'm Medha, a computer science junior and your host. Back at it again for spring semester. This is our first episode of the spring semester. In the honor of Black History Month, we will be discussing gentrification, particularly in Fountain Square, the causes, impact of urban planning, exploring both sides of the coin against and for gentrification arguments, and the efforts for the community affected by it. Please feel free to step away and take a moment to yourself um, at any time of this episode. Today, I'm joined by my amazing and adorable co-host, Billin. How are you feeling about this new year? We have already almost a month done now.
1: Hey, I'm thankful I have my health, so I'm pretty good. I have to ask, every year, everyone tends to have some New Year's resolutions. And you know, whether it's working out or just anything at all like do you have any like it literally can be anything um just something you can plan on or like that you are currently working on for this year
0: i don't believe in resolutions i'm not gonna lie because i have made them i don't know when i was like in seventh grade or something didn't follow (laughs) up at all i just i think everyone's super hyped and like they're super positive when they make these things but i think every day should be like a new resolution but uh Just for this semester, I'm trying to be, I'm trying not to be too insecure about myself. So let's see how's that going to go. I've already had two mental breakdowns so far. So I don't know how the rest of the semester is going to go. But I'm excited for today's topic uh, of gentrification. I think it's affected several communities across the globe, whether it's race, economical or geographical status. Um, I learned so much about Fountain Square and Indiana's cultural history while researching the content for this episode and I sincerely look forward to sharing it with all of you and yeah although there is like not a clear-cut technical definition of gentrification it is categorized by several changes but how about you do you did you set any resolutions um, uh,
1: no, I'm kinda like you. Like I don't have any like new resolutions specifically. I really just wanna focus on like my personal three Ps, staying positive, productive and persistent. Um, emphasis on positivity because I just personally believe you reap what you sow and so being positive can help spread positivity around you and throughout your community. And, you know, that's the beat bi weekly advice from villain. <laughs> but imagine if I actually started giving out advice at the beginning of our podcast.
0: That can be a thing, like Words of Wisdom or Bible, you know, something like that. That can be like a five-minute session in our podcast for every episode. We can do that. Possibly. Po- possibly. <laughs>
1: but, um, no, seriously, back to the topic of gentrification. I'd I like to touch up on community and the communities in Indianapolis. You know, Indianapolis specifically, Indiana Ave and Fountain Square, once well known for the legacy of African-American art music, and thriving businesses. These both have been affected by gentrification. And so, like, uh let's do a refresher and start with the basics. What, what is gentrification?
0: Yeah, so let's get into it. So basically, the term gentrification, it was coined, coined in 1964 by a British sociologist called Ruth Glass um, about sort of the changes that she noticed in certain areas of uh, inner London. Um, She defined it as like one by one, many of sort of the working class quarters were invaded for commercial urban planning. And once this process of gentrification starts in a district, it goes on rapidly until all or almost pretty much all the working class occupiers are displaced and the whole social character of a district is changed so it often yields into new investments in buildings and infrastructure and a boost in the local economic activity however the equity issues arise when the positive changes disappropriately benefit the newest arrivals and remain largely inaccessible to the established community members, who you know normally find themselves socially and economically marginalised in these neighbourhoods. But the effect of gentrification are sort of complex and contradictory, and its real impact varies. Neighborhood is often, neighborhood change is often viewed as a miscarriage of social justice in which usually uh, with the wealthy newcomers are congratulated for improving a neighborhood whose poor minority residents are displaced by skyrocketing rents and economic change.
1: And an example of this being Indiana Avenue. Indiana Ave was full of black life and culture. It had everything, a church, restaurants, bars, and anything else entertainment-related. And looking at it now, you wouldn't ever think there was history behind it. The only proof that the street was full of thriving black culture would be the Madam Walker Theater. And some people don't even know where that is or what that is either. Um, and knowing this, some, pe- like some will seek the demolishment of the theater in order to build an apartment complex. And, uh, for example, Dr. Olan Dotson, an associate professor of architecture at Ball State University and chairman of Indiana Landmarks African-American Landmarks Committee, wants to demolish the Walker Plaza. And he stated that what we've tried to do is provide an alternative to scale it down and offer homage to some of the critical history of the site. And in my personal opinion, building around the theater and paying homage to black culture would be great. Um, but getting rid of the theater, then building a complex on it and in that area just to profit at an even higher amount, claiming that there would be tributes, just doesn't sit right with me. I don't know. Um, and like, they could just refurbish the theater and like, you know, bring back. Black owned businesses and not like to imitate or copy and re like make Indiana out what it used to be, but just to never forget what made Indianapolis part of what it is now.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think there are several factors um affecting the root cause of gentrification. According to the study by Flag Wars, um the first one of the points they sort of established was it was demographics, you know, an increase in the medium income in those areas and a decline in the proportion of racial minorities and a reduction in the household size as the low-income families are replaced by sort of young singles and couples, you know. For example, like the percentage, the study also mentioned that the percentage of people living in India below the poverty line has nearly doubled since 2000 and the rest of the country has only risen about 3.2%. Um, it also notes that sort of the wages that aren't com- going up nearly as quickly as the rest of the country. So the median household income has only risen by about two thousand dollars in India, whereas for the rest of the country, it's um, arised by about eleven thousand dollars. So that's that's a huge margin from two thousand to eleven thousand.
1: No, definitely. And I kind of want to touch base on that. You know, a lot of people for that are like for gentrification believe that the whole idea of, you know, removing old or seemingly unattractive buildings, regardless if they are like homes, in order to better improve the community will improve lifestyles. And that really just is just interesting to me, because whose lifestyle would you be improving, like improving those of whom are moving in? Like, yeah, I guess. But like, how often is it that it's helping those that have lived in those neighborhoods?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the kind of when I was looking for um, the arguments for and trying to see where these people are coming from. The whole urban planning and like the real estate market, you know, like the large increases in rents and home prices, then the increase in number of evictions, conversion of like rental units to ownership and like new development of luxury housing. The percentage of housing units weakened in Indianapolis in 2014 is a full percent higher than the rest of the country. And it's it's so baffling because like the land use a decline in industrial uses like an increase in an office or multimedia uses the development of, you know, live work, loafs and high end housing, retail and restaurants. So the study that I was mentioning previously also sort of measured in India's 200 census tax from uh, 2000 to 2014 revealing that five had measurably experienced gentrification. The neighborhoods included parts of downtown Fall Creek Place, Cottage Home, and Holy Cross. Um, This is something like pretty interesting, because it kind of follows up to the next point, which is, I think, probably the most out of all the all the four that I'm mentioned so far. It's culture and character so the whole argument or the one of the root causes for gentrification that goes is that new ideas is what is desirable and attractive including the standards whether it's either informal or legal for the architecture landscaping public behavior noise and nuisance like everyone or everyone wants to live in a place that is desired and that is attractive that's like a human you know it's more of like a human instant at this point what do you think about it culture and character that is
1: a big thing that that's is actually very crazy because you know it's something i never really thought too deeply about but it's everywhere around us and we'll get to that but you know from what i've seen before and like um You know, talking to people uh, anytime the topic of gentrification would come up, whether it's in a class discussion or just like a random discussion, you know, just at the library between breaks or something like that. um, There would always be one person that would justify gentrification by specifically saying that old complexes and buildings make areas look bad. You know, by this, they mean, of course, uh, that people wouldn't want to visit nor live there because it was unattractive, causing a possible bad reputation, you know. And gentrification gave a different perspective. Now, people people see flowers or like fancier shops and they're like, "Ooh," you know what I mean? They're like automatically assume that it's a great place to be. Like, honestly, why? Why? I just don't understand. Because, like, why can't other things be attractive why why does it have to look so vibrant why does it have to look so colorful like i'm not trying to sound like you know sad or anything but i just don't understand where this idea of um you know who said what was attractive and who said what was appealing like it just doesn't make sense to me like i know even like i'm a victim to this mindset because when i see some flowers i'm just like oh that's so cute or like i'll go to like um mass and be like oh that shop is so adorable it has like puppies on it or something um but in all honesty i really wish i wasn't because that would just like fix so many things
0: yeah yeah i i think like with the whole culture and character it's like the whole I Id- like the human innate instant is like we want something that's desirable and that's attractive you know yeah and that go that sort of plays into all factors of our life even where we want to live so people want to live, they don't want to live in some, even when you look at luxury properties like around the coast around the sea they want, uh, you know, the sea view, they want like a beautiful view that can, the ocean views and all that sort of thing, even if that ends up destroying a couple of uh, wildlife or it's not good for the wildlife conservation over there, because that's what like humans crave, you know, and it's just, it's pretty sad and pretty disgusting that they don't realise like we as humans don't realise our impact of just what like our desires, how it impacts the things around us or how it impacts other communities that, or anyone who isn't us, basically. But yeah, th- that is something, like culture and character, I feel like that that was one that stood out me, uh, to me the most out of all these things. Like the land decline and the fact that uh, the vacancies kind of shock me in so many ways. But um, yeah, it's, it's something.
1: Yeah. And really speaking about, like, you know, appealing, attractive, I guess. Uh, Let's talk about Fountain Square. You know, Um, it's known to be an artsy neighborhood, and, you know, the gentrification of that community uh, we'll be discussing today as well. Uh, Fountain Square is, like I said, known for the artsy neighborhood and the creativity
0: there. And. Yeah. So with the Fountain Square, something that I wanted to, since it's known, as Bill mentioned, for the artistic neighborhood and the creativity there, um, something that Brooke, uh, who is the executive director of Broad Ripple Village Association, uh, sees art as like a foundation for indie's growth. Um, and I quote sort of um, she said that art and culture enriches the human experience so in my opinion it is an essential part of a community and neighbourhood development. Um, There have been two specific examples in India for the last 10 to 15 years um, that point about how the arts can categorise investment so one is the Harrison Centre for Arts in the Old North Side and the other one is the Murphy Building in Fountain Square and those two buildings sort of have been become these destination for First Friday and demonstrated the potential of the neighborhood. The All the programming, um, she said that the programming is set the tone for the commercial tenant development around it, and then soon after the residential development. So the whole argument here is sort of that you have art that makes the neighborhood look cool, which... Um, sort of there is someone called uh, Larry Jones, um, who is who owns the also the Circle City Industrial Complex. Um, In Jones is one of sort of the part when about this debate or one of the articles that they were talking about, um, they kind of reflected the fact that one of the issues that they always keep hearing is that you've brought the artists uh, in who make it cool, which allows everyone to raise the rent but um, sort of the whole idea behind it it was in in reality the artists are basically ultimate like small businesses they've got an idea they've got talent they've got a skill a thought and they what they are looking for is a space where they can focus their craft and put it together you know so when the artist becomes more successful with their idea their business or their work becomes more in demand and as their sort of work gets more successful what happens is that you get more demands placed on you as a landlord but one of like the contradictory um argument to this statement is like as a landlord the only thing that fixes is money and the only source for money is the rent but so this idea of like the whole coolness that causes the rents to go up it's just wrong what 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 do you think about that
1: um you know, it, it's interesting because, like, I will have my opinion, but I don't think it can compare to, you know, what they're saying because they are the landlord. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, but personally, I just believe that the artsy and the whole coolness thing does contribute to it. Um, but rent does as well. You know what I mean? Because, you know, like we said earlier, um, everything that people will find attractive or, like, appealing, they'll, like, run to it. So it's, like, even if those that lived in Fountain Square, they may be, like, you know, little businesses, like you said, um... They still have something to offer, and like some people will just hold on to the smallest things. So like they'll even see like a little butterfly, not a butterfly, a, like a bracelet, a bracelet. I mean, and they'll just be like, ooh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I- yeah. I'll invest in that. Or like they'll see some buildings and be like, wow, the creativity here. And then they're like, maybe I can like form a building or like build, um, what's it called, a community there, just because of that one building, just because of that, you know one drawing on that building they'll build a whole uh plaza and they'll be like oh maybe tourists will come here or like maybe people from other cities will be like Ooh, that might be something i want to go see and yeah. then the whole the whole like it'll be a process where since those people are going to come here they're going to be like oh they need some place to eat so then bam restaurants will be put down yeah. so then people see restaurants and then they're gonna be like they might need somewhere to live bam complexes you know what i mean yeah. on top of that entertainment theaters and everything yeah it just
0: ties into like the previous the whole culture and character point that we talked about it's, yeah but it just seems unjustifiable that like oh you have yes all these factors sort of play in a very sequence and they're very correlated to each other but the whole idea oh we have got good art hence like we got to displace an entire community it, exactly. it doesn't make any sense like yeah. like the fact that like you have to displace a community or like racial minorities have to be kicked out of their house just to justify your coolness makes no bloody sense
1: and then yeah like on top of that like they'll do that and then the rent will come in because since so many people want to live here they're going to be like um a high-end neighborhood is going to bring in high-end people you know what i mean like it's going to be wealthy people like people that actually can afford it and um And they can afford it because the rent has been increased. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times if, you know, if you think about money and you want to make money and this, like everyone wants to make money. So they're just like, if we have all these people coming here and they are wanting to live here, then I might as well increase the, you know, the rent. So it'll go from like $300 a month to like fifteen hundred dollars a month just like that like well over time but still and then those people that were living there previously that you know they just wanted to live there for their art wanted just um a place that they can you know be in quiet and have fun and like do what they're doing and you know what i mean um they have to move out for people that only want to be there for the whole just aspect of it
0: like they yeah. just want to be yeah, there like to be a part of a spectacle or something like that yeah
1: exactly like yes. they'll just literally want to live there to get the view to get the um experience it, it'll just be the feeling like there there's really no you know need for it. like it won't be a home to them it'll just be like oh i live here and so now I look good like I look good because I live in Found Square I make this money yeah it's
0: like a status symbol sort of thing exactly and like also another problem is like like they're building these like these apartments these complexes but not every one is filled or all these apartments are not filled there are vacancies so like roughly around one out of this was again um, uh, it was a report that was commissioned by the local initiative support corporation to the center of um Center for Community Progress um, so roughly out of one uh, out of every four tracts is suffering from what might be called as hyper vacancies so where the vacancy rate is more than 20% while another one of the four has a vacancy rate between 12 to 20 12 and 20% and a level likely to reflect at least moderately depressed housing marketing conditions um, market conditions and over 100 of Um, the neighbourhoods sort of I mentioned earlier, which was downtown, Fall Creek Place, Scottish Home, and Holy Cross. Um, Indianapolis has has seen their housing vacancy rate double between 2000 to 2014. So it's just like we're displacing these racial communities. We are increasing these rents in the name of urban planning and residential development. But how... We have so many vacancies. So what is going wrong over here?
1: And on top of that is so many homeless people. Like, you're literally displacing people for space that is not filled up. And there are people that are not—they don't have a shelter. Like, they don't have a home. They don't have a roof over their head. You have apartments available, but you're not providing it to those that need it. You know what I mean? You're just providing it for an option. So, like, people can have— hundreds of options there's so many apartments here and yet they'll choose that because it's you know because the way it looks like i said and they'll pay more whereas we have homeless people people that don't have much and they they need it and it's not being given to them you know what i mean yeah yeah
0: and it's also like we're talking about um displacing or gentrification for residential purposes there are also other reasons where gentrification takes place you know like um sad to say this but even IUPUI is a result of gentrification
1: crazy yeah like IUPUI played a big role like I know we go to school here but we have to talk about it um it played a big role in regards to what happened to the warmth of Indiana and honestly. Indianapolis in general. You know, according to newamerica.org, it stated that in the mid-1960s, the university acquired and demolished properties of at a rapid clip seeking to promote an accelerated relocation of residents from the mostly black neighborhoods surrounding it entire neighborhoods were gutted and soon after converted to parking lots and the displacement of thousands of people not only wiped away black history that was present but also set back generations by ridding the community of thriving businesses and leaving many black families to start over without any aid and that just doesn't make sense to me because why would you do all of that like I understand and IUPUI is like, a, like it's a, it's a well known school and it has all these medical programs, nursing programs. But you're putting this over like, like there's just so many families that could have been living here. There's like who who can you even imagine what IUPUI, not even IUPUI, what Indiana have. Would look like now or what indianapolis in general would look like with all these businesses um that were there because when i say they were thriving they were doing so well they were you know what i mean they had well from what i've read they they've had so much and now it was wiped clean there's there's nothing here What like what's entertainment you're gonna go to broad ripple or you're gonna go to um uh mass you are you gonna go to Fountain square that they have things but they're all so similar and I feel like if Indiana Ave was possibly still here that would offer a completely different like I like a, a look you know what I mean and yeah. it might even be better for us but
0: yeah, yeah, I mean IUPR did have like a land acknowledgement where they acknowledge the fact that they have displaced um, a vibrant um, black community over here but it's just um, the fact that um, we have I know nothing sort of is like a compensation for any of that and is not equivalent to any families that have been displaced. None of this measures to any of it. Um, But IUPU had like um, through the... Through their eyes
1: memorial scholarship. Yeah, yeah. it,
0: it was through the Black Student Union's 2006 Black Student Initiative, which was sort of a catalyst for advising a change towards racial equity and inclusion on campus. So all this effort is all like something that we should know is led more from or from on beyond from student perspective like if it wasn't for students taking a I would say a stand on this and um, going ahead with it and promoting it and making sure this results into something so on behalf of like um, our UPR campus so through their eyes memorial. It's a scholarship that was announced by the chancellor. It valued about $15,000 $15, for, $15, for up to four years.
1: Um, yeah, so according to news.iu.edu, students who are related to the families displaced um, by the development of the IPY campus and are pursuing their first their first undergraduate degree at IUPUI will be eligible for an award of up to $15,000, like you said, and renewable for up to four years. And in another article by WRTV News, uh, Khalilah Shabazz, the Assistant Vice Chancellor for Student Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, the one, you know, you mentioned, um, she said stated that the scholarship is a way to honor those individuals, their ancestors, and their descendants. And um, like I said, just to reiterate, there's really no way to compensate but um having this scholarship it 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 can be a, a good you know just a backup in a sense and it can help some students that were like needed um but yeah Well, that's it for today's episode. Um, Thank you for joining us today. And, you know, I hope you learned something new. I hope you you got some things um, from us. Um, It was great having you guys, even though you guys weren't present, but it's okay. Um, Well, that's it. Thank you so much. Have a great day.